just enjoy this place so much. And I do feel like an uncle, kind of a strange uncle perhaps, but I'm that, that uh, part of your family that gets to come and visit. And uh, so thanks for having me back. And yeah, i am uh, got packed up and it's been crazy, you know, we've been, we went to England, and, which was fun. And we went and ministered there, and then we got home, and I had just stacks of work. When you, when you step away, nobody comes and does it for you. And so I came back, it was just nuts. And so I plowing through this week, and getting ready for tonight. And so last night I was packing up and throwing stuff in suitcases and trying to remember the tokens. And what did I say I did last time? And I don't remember. We get all done, we jump in the car, we drive all the way here. And I forgot all my clothes. Nothing. I had one pair of pants that I was wearing. But everything else was like, it's hanging on the door in my bedroom where I knew I would not forget it. So we went out and bought me some new guys. Yeah. Yeah, Donna's like, are you sure you meant, didn't mean to do that? Yeah, so we had fun. So I'm all excited. I got a new pair of shoes, new pair of pants, new shirt. Uh, I might just make that happen. <laughs> just gotta go and see what, what happens. But it's expensive, right? So I know I probably won't do that, but I sure had fun. Um, I have never had the privilege of doing a, a prosperous soul in two meetings. So this has been really fun for me. A lot of times I'll go, when, when Brent and Suzanne invited me here, I, okay, they invited me to Apostle Soul. And you know, last time I told you, it's, you know, like 20 hours of stuff. And so we set it up in our meetings, and I had a great time. But, like, typically, I've got to hit all the high spots and just go as fast as I can. It's tiresome, right? It's, it's hard to get it through. And people get tired of just a fire hose turned on. You know, just just pouring it just wears you out. So we, we made an early plan. Okay, let's just make a nice round landing. Let's let's cover the bases. Let's get around the bases the first time. That was in June. Can you believe that? Amazing. And uh, so we scheduled September here right now. I'm so glad to be here. I believe I've got everything with me that I promised I would have, with one exception, besides my clothes. I, I promised you guys a handout called the Wealth Map. Yeah. Two people remembered that. Probably some more of you do. Yeah. I got here and forgot it. But I have, praise the Lord, a uh, faithful help up and ready. And I've already texted her and emailed her. So no doubt it's probably in cyberspace right now. Flying down here. It'll end up in Britt's email. And then hopefully tomorrow we can print up a bunch of those and get those out. Okay, so, so we'll complete that. Oh, there I am. And um, the other thing is I have some more tokens for you guys. Last time we had... This thing is kind of messy. There it goes. Um, yeah, I believe last time you got your little bags. Okay, so if there's anybody here that's not been, didn't come last night, last time, or lost your bags, we've got them back there. There's a little... A little kid, yeah, yeah. So we'll make sure you get a little bag. And so I thought it would be a great way to start this seminar, talk about some, just remind you of some of the things that Prosperous Soul is doing 
For example, the bags are a prophetic symbol. They're more than just a, you know, kind of a neat little thing to get. It symbolizes capacity. Yeah, the ability to carry. And it's around the idea that as a, as a prosperous soul, you're a person who has designed in such a way to carry blessings, to carry assignments. And uh, it doesn't matter whether you are a, an evangelist or any, name, name something, you know, apostolic person, a prophetic person, um, a teacher, uh, any of those assignments that we have, wherever we're at, if we're raising children, if we're janitoring in a school, whatever thing that we are setting our hands to is sacred. And in order to carry that thing and to get promotions, you've got to demonstrate faithfulness or the capacity to carry. Jesus said, those who are faithful in the little thing are faithful in much. And God is a rewarder, it says in the book of Hebrews. Is this too loud? No. You guys are good? Okay, it feels really loud to me, so I'm going to go back a little bit. But yeah, it talks in Hebrews that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So all of this symbolized in the bag, the bag, the, the idea that we're to carry and to carry faithfully. You see, the reason I decided to teach with tokens is they become a touch point. We handle them. You know, the sound men need a special blessing because they have the worst job, don't they? When everything's fine until something goes wrong, and then everybody's head turns to the sound men. So let's extend a hand and thank God for the sound men, right? I ask you to reward him. I ask you to pour into him, overflowing, this cup overflowing, making giddy and goofy with blessings, Lord. Okay. Over his head. And good things in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for the servant that helps us. You know? yes. Yeah, so the idea of the token gives us a thing to touch, a point to remember. Because I know what will happen. Uh, you'll, you'll get done with this, this weekend, your seminar, and you'll go home with your little bag full of little things, and you'll throw it in the drawer. And that's kind of where it sits. Or maybe you'll go on a shelf somewhere where it gets real dusty. You know how that works. But one of these days, you'll find it again. One of these days, you'll be moving around, looking around, digging around the back of a drawer, or cleaning up a, a shelf, and you'll find it. And inside are all these little tokens, and they're going to remind you, oh yeah, capacity. Oh, how am I doing on that? And all these ideas come rushing back. See, the, the Hebrews are smart about that. They, they did that. They built monuments for their children for that very reason. So this is why we use these. I also handed out a penny. Who has your bags from last time, by the way? Yeah. Oh, yeah, come on. You did good. Now, I have uh, a few of the tokens with me. If I'm missing some, maybe you can make them up on your own. This can't be gone. 
if there's a, if, if you don't have your penny, get a penny. Because, see, this stuff was all handed out and explained last time. Well, the penny has many symbols and, not symbols, but prophetic meaning behind it. But the one, the favorite one for me, is the word liberty. It says liberty on a penny, doesn't it? It doesn't say freedom. It says liberty. Because there's a big difference between freedom and liberty. Freedom is a great thing. We pray for it. We, we, we celebrate it. But understand that freedom is an escape from something. Like a bird in a cage. Here's the cage. A little bird inside. We open the door. The bird has freedom. The bird can fly out. But the trick to freedom is liberty. Liberty is the capacity to make decisions outside of freedom. You see what I mean? Once you fly the coop and you're outside, the bird has to learn how to live outside, doesn't it? Otherwise, it'll fly back in. And how many people, I did this for a long time, so I know this is true, tolerate living inside the cage. Even though the door is open and there's a way of escape, we learn to live inside. So, liberty is different than freedom. And liberty is better than freedom. And freedom without liberty is highly likely to return you to bondage. Yeah, if you have freedom by itself and no capacity to choose between options, choose well, you can find your way right back into the cage. So liberty is important, huh? Yeah. Liberty is awesome. I celebrate liberty. I love it. I practice it. And that's what a prosperous soul does. A prosperous soul, that's based on the verse, 3 John 1, verse 2. If you have your manual, it's right on the very front. In that verse is such an interesting uh, promise. Beloved, I pray in all respects that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. That literally means that prospering or prosperity or blessing or increase, it means that, that you would prosper and be in good health, two great things are flowing from something. You get that? Beloved, I pray. If you look right in front of your manual, down on the bottom right corner, there's the verse. It's in New American Standard Version. Beloved, I pray that in all respects, in everything, you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. It's what flows out of our hearts. Our soul is a source of something. Our soul is a source of prosperity and good health. Those are big words. You see, prosperity is better than success. Success is good, but what's better is prosperity. Success means a victory, a single victory, a win. Prosper, biblically, means a good road or a lifetime of successes. See the difference? Vastly better. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you would prosper and in good health 
even as your soul prospers. Good health. Good health is awesome. You know, we're out of Bethel, we believe in healing. We pray for people, we pray for the sick all the time. Healing is amazing. Who's seen a healing? Yeah. Who's received a healing? Yeah, that's that's awesome. Me too. I've I've received it and I prayed for the sick. I prayed for a lot of people. Not all of them get healed, you know that? But some of them do. So healing is amazing. But there's something better. Divine health is better than healing. Doesn't make healing less. It's just no, healing is amazing. And health is even better. You get that? So this all contained in the foundational verse for this, this whole course. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you would prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. So those things coming out of your soul. Is that okay if I do a little review? Is that alright? Yeah. How many of you, by the way, are new to this seminar? Woo! Just to help myself out. How many are returning? returning? Oh yeah, come on. Alumni. You're now my intercession group. Okay. Thanks for coming back. Welcome all you new people. My goodness. This is awesome. People from Bethel overuse the word awesome. And you'll see that I do that. I have to. I'm from Bethel. Yeah. yeah, it's one of the rules. It's like when we were first starting out, we all had to wear Hawaiian shirts. Yeah. One of those little known facts. But I'll tell you all that, that stuff later. Yeah, so, um, goodness, that we prosper and be good health, even as our soul prospers. Oh, so what is a prosperous soul? Well, sounds good, huh? It's got to sound, it sounds cool. What is a prosperous soul? Well, I invite you to hear the whole story in the first part where I talk about a wrestling match. Those of you who have returned remember about the time I was in a chapel, the chapel at Bethel. And, uh, and I had a, I was, I was kind of wrestling with the Lord over some stuff, which means I was whining. And, my, and I uh, watched my, well, I need to say this. The Holy Spirit says to me, say, I am good. So the Holy, I'm all by myself. The Holy Spirit says to me, say, I am good. And I couldn't do it. And I said, I, I can't do that. And he says again, say, I am good. It's just coaxing this out of me and I just couldn't do it. And he said again, say, I am good. And I said, God, I don't think I am good. I think God is good, and I think I'm alone. I really kind of think I'm not good. But when God uses me, I become good, like a pipe. And he showed me this pipe. And rather than retell the whole story, I'll just jump to the end. What happened is I had a confident belief in my soul that I was worthless. Okay? My my soul, your mind, will, and emotion. Who's heard that? Mind, will, and emotion. So your soul is your, that's your brain, that's your thinker. That's, that's what we watch. We watch ourselves, we watch others. Our soul is what's learning all the time. Our soul feels stuff all the time. 
our soul has faith in our past, because that's what it's been watching. Does that make sense? Our soul thinks things about ourselves, because that's our thinker. So my soul has faith. But in this particular case, my soul had faith in something that wasn't biblically true. And so my spirit has faith too. I'm a born-again believer. My spirit has faith too. My spirit believes in the power of the cross. But my soul believes in the in the experience and history of who Steve has been. My mistakes. When I drive too fast through town. Alright? When I eat too much. When I say things that I shouldn't have said. I know it's hard to imagine, but I do do that. Actually, quite a bit. In fact, I try to keep my mouth as quiet as I can most of the time. Because I stick my foot in it all the time. So my soul and my spirit have both have faith, but they're in different things. You get that? And in this moment, the Holy Spirit is saying, say I'm good, and my soul says, there's no way I'm saying that. God's good, I'm not. And the Holy Spirit says, you're going to need to decide which is more true. My cross or your confident conviction that you're worthless. And he showed me that when a cross, when I accepted Christ, Jesus as my Savior, he restored the bar. You get that? Men fell, and I'm a fallen man, but I bowed my knee to Jesus, and he reset the bar. Somehow he did that. To the time before the fall of man. That's when, that's back when God was making men and women. And what did he say? That is very good. Is that crazy? Yeah. He said, it is very good. Well, I don't feel very good. Because my soul is convinced of something. My history, my thoughts, my thought life. But my spirit is convinced what the cross did. So I watch my soul and my spirit fight right in front of me. I watch it. This, I mean, in, in my imagination. Okay, I mean, I didn't see these little things pop out. But, but I could just envision my spirit and my soul in a deadly lock wrestling match. And I'm a wrestler when I was in high school, but not anymore. But when I was in high school, I wrestled. So I knew what it was like to go face off with somebody and try to tear their arms off. I knew that. And this is what's going on. Soul and spirit go to war and my spirit wins. What I mean is my soul had to agree that the cross of Christ is greater than everything I believe about myself. And it was like my spirit pinned my soul to the floor. And my spirit, victory, my soul defeated. It was a really strange vision. It was the weirdest. It was actually awful. I was standing there by myself, just tears, just crying. Because I had lost something. I had lost something I held so dearly. My conviction and belief in who I was. I, I experienced for the first time 
and have sense in learning about what humility really means. You see, I used to think humility was humiliation. I didn't put those words to it, but I really kind of felt humiliated inside, so that was my version of humility. But when my soul lost that fight and had to agree, I am good because of the cross of Christ, but I am good, that's amazing. When I lost that fight, I, I saw my spirit grab my, myself, my soul by the shirt and pull to its feet and said, let's run. It was, I am sobbing because I imagined in the defeat my soul was worthless. But my spirit says, I need you. It was amazing. And my soul follows my spirit now. My Christ filled spirit. You with this? So imagine before a man, a body, so body, soul, and spirit. My body carrying around two competing things. See what I mean? Who's the leader? Well, in, in church and in my mind, I want my spirit to be the leader. But man, I had a lot of conflict inside because my soul believed other things. And your soul creates environments around it. Your soul manifests itself all the time. What I mean by that is that money is power and power exaggerates whatever is inside of you. See what I mean? And my soul believed I was worthless. Fundamentally worthless. But when Christ saved me and I finally agreed with it in my soul, I said, okay, I experienced what humility really meant. I will agree with the cross of Christ. I will agree with what that what that really means. I am good because of the cross, but I'm good. Well, that means I'm significant. That means I matter. And I began for the first time in my life taking up space in my own life. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. It's like I began to occupy a room, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about taking up space and my little journey through that. And... Uh, the title is Roots. So we're going to come back to that in a minute. I'll take you right to the page in the manual. And we'll kind of dig through this thing. It's one of my favorite sessions in the Prosper Soul. But that's what we're talking about. Sound good? Sounds fun. Because I've lived it bit both ways, and it's way better on this side. Way better. Yeah. So I guess in summary, what is a Prosper Soul? It's a body following a soul 
in agreement with my soul that it is spirit-led. Soul, spirit, soul, and body. It's like a convergence. Where I was trying to describe it before, it was like a body with a soul and a spirit of war inside. And a prosperous soul is where that soul submits to the bigger, the bigger truth, the real truth. The truth of the gospel of the Prince of Peace. The cross is amazing. We can't lose track of the cross. What Jesus did on that cross, I think we're going to spend so much of eternity learning about what happened. And, and I, think, I, I knew it saved me. I knew it closed out the Old Testament and, and provided a lamb. You know, we know these things intellectually, but I've been probing around and I learned, oh my goodness, the cross made me good. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Well, that's all in the penny and the bag. My goodness, what else did we have in here? I think I handed out last time we worked on poverty spirit. And I drew on the board the three, the three types of poverty spirit. And again, I invite you to go back and listen to the other recording. But there's a spirit of, there's a poverty spirit, a poverty power, and a poverty trap. And uh, what a prosperous soul assignment will be will be to step in and answer the need on a on an impoverished planet. And that'll be a lot of fun for you to go back through, but I don't want to rehash it here. The token for that was the paper clip. So if you paper paper clip, make sure you get one. And uh, if you don't remember we broke the paper clip, this is a fake symbol. Did we do that? You remember that? Who was your last time? You don't remember that? We didn't. We didn't. Okay, I must have gotten talking too long. The same thing's happening already tonight, so that was going on. Nobody had the paper clip, but we can go ahead and hand them out. What? I'll just tell you really easy. Now, you see, all of these exercises are in the manual. So you can go back through and, and go right on through the whole thing and find the exercises and do it yourself. But I'll tell you really fast a poverty. Spirit circles us. It cycles us back. You ever seen somebody? I just talked to someone. Uh, this is a boy. He's I think he's 17. He's a big man. But he's only 17 years old. And he's the first guy in their family to go to college. Donna and I were talking about it all the way down there. And she mentioned at one point that, yeah, his brothers and sisters and family don't even want him to go to college. Because they are used to poverty. See, poverty holds you back, doesn't it? It pulls you down. It says, when somebody like this boy, when he breaks free of the gravity of poverty, you'll hear these kinds of sounds. Who do you think you are? Get back here where you belong. Right? The sounds, the scripts of poverty. Poverty holds you. It pulls you back. It circles you back. This is why the token is paper clip because it's circular. It also holds you, doesn't it? It pinches. What's that? Uh, yeah, I'm sitting right in there. Yeah, right in there. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, so a paper clip is the symbol. So what we for for breaking a poverty spirit. So you'll see in the manual what we did is I had I would teach on the poverty spirit, which I did most of the teaching last time. 
But the prophetic act is fun. We straighten out that paper clip. I tell everybody, you just straighten it out. Just do it right now. Who, who is missing a paper clip? Everybody got one? Just straighten that thing out as straight as you can. We just prophetically undo the power of a, of a poverty spirit in Jesus' name. Straighten that thing out as straight as you can. No bends. No bends. Yeah. Straighten it out. Thank you, God. We just release your spirit to shed the power of a poverty mentality in this room right now. Who's got it straightened out? It's pretty straight. That's pretty good. But there's still little bends in, in it, isn't there? You know what those are? Bends. There's a word in the Bible that says the word bent or a habit or a pattern. You get it? We break this poverty spirit. It's that easy. You know that the poverty spirit is not a devil. It's not a devil. If it was, you would cast it out. Matthew 10, 18, I think, says we would cast out devils. But why can't we do that? Why don't they leave? It's because it's not a devil. If it was, it would go. I've done it. I know. It works. On devils. But it doesn't work on poverty spirit. What a poverty spirit is, is a beggarly attitude. Beggarly attitude. The word poverty means poor or beggarly. Biblically, if you look at the scriptural words behind it, the word poverty means beggarly or poor. The word spirit has four meanings, scripturally. The first one, referring to God. God is a spirit. Well, you can't put beggarly and God together. So that's not the meaning of poverty spirit, right? The second one is the spirit of man. Well, we are created in God's image. So you can't put those together. That's not, we are not a beggarly spirit. You get that? So we take that off the table. The third one is referring to a devil or an evil spirit. Matthew 10 tells us we would cast those out. So since we can't get rid of a poverty spirit by casting it out, it must not be, that's not what it is. But the fourth one means attitude. It's in your manuals. Again, you guys can find all this. But in the Bible, it talks about, it uses the word spirit also in the context of an attitude. A beggarly attitude is poverty spirit. When you change your paradigm or the way you think from there's never enough to there's more than enough, you will change, you will break, shatter a poverty spirit. This is what we did a lot of work on last time. Now what we're going to do is break this wire. What I want you to do is bend it into the shape of an S or C. No. <laughs> Probably for Jesus. I don't know. I haven't figured out how to call that yet. But 
make it into a Z shape or an S shape so you kind of get your hands on it. And I'm going to pray a prayer for you, and you, and as you pray, I want you to begin to bend that thing back and forth. Does that make sense? You know, if you bend a wire, it breaks. That's what we're going to do. So, as we do this, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father God. That was good. Let's do that one more time. <laughs> Father God. We identify poverty thinking in our lives and the bends toward thinking less. And ask God that you would invade our hearts. That you would invade our minds with the truth of the gospel. And displace the lies of poverty. I break this wire now. In Jesus' name. As an example. The broken poverty spirit. In my thinking. All my days. The days of my children. Days, days of my legacy. Days of my legacy. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Who has not broken your wire yet? Keep going, girl. Come on. You just keep bending that thing. You keep going. You're not getting out of this room without it. That's right. Look at her. She's like, keep going. Get on. That's right. It'll break. If I can bite it in half, it'll break. <laughs> I guarantee it. Awesome. Who's still working on your wires? Don't be, you just keep riding going. You just, did you bend it like a Z so you kind of get traction on it? Yeah. Did you get yours broken? Right there? Yeah. You got yours? Okay, give her, you just watch how she's doing. Make sure she knows how to kind of, you kind of pinch it down to where it's bending in one spot. And it'll get hotter and hotter and hotter and pretty soon it just like feels like, thank you, Jesus. Keep going. We got lots of time, no problem. You get broken. Okay, baby, come on. Come on, keep it up. Here's how the token works half of it goes in your bag. Half of it. The other half goes in a garbage can. We have a garbage can we can cycle around. And prophetically, we're just going to drop the other half in that garbage can. Okay, they're, they're working on the can. When you, when you drop that other half, I want you just to think, seriously, this is pathetically. You're just saying, I forsake that lie in Jesus' name. Just release that in Jesus' name. Yeah. Here comes the guard. He's working on Thank you so much. Who's working on your wire? She's got this thing, looks like somebody's beating it with a stick. Come on. Yeah. You're doing good. There it is. Come on. Who's still working on your wire? Everybody else great? Come on, bro, you got it. Everybody's got it. Excellent. Doesn't a poverty spirit seem like a big deal? But it's that, it's that easy. It's that easy. We're going to work tonight on the next part of this. We're going to work this idea on roots. 
It's about how lies get embedded in our life. Where they come, come from? How do how do they get there? So I'm going to help help you guys identify thinking that you're going to undo. Okay? That you're going to shift, and I'll show you how to do it. It's it's, uh, it's easy. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father God in heaven. You told us as a key that to the kingdom. You told us, Lord, that what we bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. What we loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And right now, King, we invite you in this room. We invite you to sit and move among us, to jostle us around. We're not fragile, we're not afraid of you. We ask you to move us and, and sit beside us and teach us tonight. And Lord, there's things in heaven that you have bound. Things like confusion and misunderstanding and many other things. Lord, we, we bind those right now in this room. For the next two days, we bind them in Jesus' name. And Lord, there's things you loose in heaven. Think about this. What is loose in heaven? Joy, understanding, peace, confidence, truth. Lord, those things that are loose in heaven, we loose them right now on earth. We loose them in this room. That what's communicated would be your truth alone. Lord, I'm asking you to just bless these next few days, these next needs. You would anoint us for good works in Christ. You would engineer in us prosperous souls. I'm asking for this. I'm believing it, Lord. And I'm praying for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good. I want you to turn to page 91. Ninety-one. One. Hang on. Are you? Everybody break your wire, right? Yeah. Hey, it matters. It'll it'll change your life. Because what we're doing is we're starting to learn about our spirit. Oh, I didn't finish the tokens. We also there's a little piece of foil. We talked about the man and the spirit. I'll let you guys listen to the recording and check out the. The manual on the man and the spirit. Okay? But there's some foil back here. If you want a little piece of foil, it's back there. And then there's a rubber band. We'll come to, we'll get you that later. Rubber band is a bounded spirit session. And that's where we talk about the purpose train. Who remembers the purpose train? Awesome. A couple of hands up, but I think it's because we want the token. You remember. Yeah, that's a powerful tool as well. 91 of your manual. manual. Thank you, Jesus. It says on the bottom, just a little phrase I wrote. It says, with God's help, it's a prayer. I obtained the garden of my heart. As I believed are being removed and biblical truth is being planted. It's a declaration. That's my declaration. And I declare it over you. I declare it over me. You see, it works like this. Ideas float around like cottonwood seeds. Like little, you ever seen cottonwood seeds or dandelions? Dandelions, is that right? Yeah, the little furball things that when the wind hits them, they, the seeds kind of drift. Ideas work like that. They're floating around all the time. And, are, and they land and sprout roots and grow. Okay? Now when we're young, 
our hearts are wide open because we are engineered as people to collect truth, bring the land in our hearts, and grow fruit. Our hearts are just like a garden. Okay? This is why our soul is so convinced about the things that it knows. It's designed to do that. Okay? You're not going to change that. It's made to be that way. The problem is, there's all manner of seeds or ideas floating around. Some are true and some are false. And some of them drift around. When they land, we nurture them and water them, even lives. We water them and cause them to grow because they kind of help us. And I'm going to tell you about that in this next session right now. Let's just turn and let's buzz over here. I'm going to page 97. I think 97 is a good place for us to start. It's in the book of page 97, you'll see a heading that says recognizing truth. And you can underline or circle the first line in that paragraph. It's again in the idea that words and ideas are seeds. And I just want to play with that a little bit. You know, there's a verse in the Bible. It's in Genesis. It says that a seed will reproduce after its own kind. Do you know that verse? God is making the planet. And he says, he, he declares, so it becomes like a principle that when an apple seed goes in the ground, it will grow apples. It will not grow tomatoes or asparagus or anything weird. It will grow after its own kind. Right? That's awesome. Later, in the New Testament, Jesus is walking around. And he makes a statement about a tree. He says that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Do you remember that part? And he says, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. He is, he is echoing the principle God established in Genesis. That a seed will produce after its own kind. But he, he spreads it across and identifies this idea that ideas are seeds too. And they also reproduce after their own kind. Make sense? In that section, Jesus is talking about our behavior, the way we act, the things that we do, like fruit. He's saying that when you behave a certain way, if you're behaving or misbehaving, let's say you're misbehaving somewhere, that demonstrates fruit in your life. It's almost like we're like trees. And out from one of our branches pops a fruit. Ooh, that's the bad one. It's one we don't want anybody to see. So we pick it and hide it. Right? Because we're Christians. You follow me? One time, Dawn and I were driving uh, through town. And a guy cut some rude person cuts me off in my car. Just cuts me off. So... So as opportunity opened up, I drove up beside that car and rolled down my window. 
And I told them a few things. I just made out the window. Felt much better, roll back Step on our drive. And after a while, I could feel these two eyes burning on the side of my head. Donna sit in the passenger seat. She goes, kind of got an anger problem there. Mom, what? Oh, oh, that? No, no, it wasn't anger. No, that was, that was me correcting another person who needed understanding on the rules of the road in California. That wasn't anger. See, what happened is all of a sudden a little fruit popped out. And uh, I can't let her see that, so I picked that thing and hide it. But that one, she saw it. You see what I mean? She caught it with my fruit hanging on the bow. We were brand new, just, just learning about each other. And some of my fruit started popping out. So this is what I'm talking about. About how our hearts are like a garden and they grow things. Okay, so let me take you back. Once upon a time, Steve was a little boy. Steve was a little boy, and I was raised, this is a true story, I was raised on a ranch. And my grandma uh, was the cook. And there was all the hard-working farmers, and I was one of the kids kicking around. But I was a little dude. I was about six or seven. I don't remember the age, but I was little. And I remember baking on pots and screaming and running through the kitchen. I was probably scaring off attacking Indians or something. I don't know what I was doing, but I beat on my pot not loud with my grandma. She tells, she, she, she yells, she yells, Stevie, Stevie, stop. Just stop. Little boy should be seen and not heard. Right? Who's heard that? Little boy should be seen and not heard. Not many of you raised your hands, I'm surprised. Yeah. Little boy should be seen and not heard. What did she mean by that? She meant, if you don't be quiet, I'm going to kill you with this butcher knife. And I don't want to do that, so I need you to be quiet because my nerves are shot. Now that's we know now as grown-ups, that's what was happening, right? She loves me, she didn't want to kill me. So she said, instead, little boy should be seen and not heard. Now I love my grandma. She was awesome. And she loved me. And I thought, huh, I didn't know that. This little idea. The little boy should be seen and not heard. Drifts down. And lands in my heart. Because I just like, well, Grandma, I love my Grandma, and she loves me, so I just take it. I accept it. And I go, that must be true. And it was true. I mean, it kept me alive. Right? Grandma didn't kill me. So this was good. So I learned the rules of the house. When I'm in the kitchen, there's a lot of work going on there. Let's just be quiet in the kitchen. Grandma likes that. So I learned to be invisible in the kitchen, right? And help my grandma out. And I loved helping my grandma. So invisible, invisibility became an important tool for me when I was a little six-year-old kid, right? Well, I, I found that that idea helped me. So I believed it was good. So I watered it. I nurtured it. 
I practiced it. Practiced it in school. You know, sixth, first grade, second grade, third grade. And I learned that, you know, invisibility is actually kind of cool because it, it kind of makes scary things not so scary because they don't see me. I can just kind of blend in. Right? So this is how an idea can become loved. We moved across town when I was probably in, uh, I was probably like 12 years old or something like that. We moved across town. I lived with my mom and we moved to a new campus. I didn't know a soul on this campus. I'm the new kid, not used to moving, so it was, I was like, ooh, really scared. And I was little. I was a little tiny dude, skinny, new kid, no friends. So we went to this new campus and every day at lunch, I'd walk out on the playground, I wouldn't really know who to talk to or what to do, and I'd watch, and all the other kids are playing Foursquare. Anybody remember Foursquare? Tetherball? Splatterball, which is just sloppy football. Yeah. And, and so everybody's running around, they have a ball. And I'm just like, oh, I don't really know how to do this. So I decided, oh, I'm just going to use my invisibility. Because it was a great tool for me. I'll just do this. So what I did, I found, I found a little little spot where there was some dirt. And some, and some little trails and cars. And I had little trucks and sticks. And, you know, I just had a little, little city over there. And I that's around. And when the lunch hour was done, the bell would ring. We'd all run inside. And so I got this little pattern going. I kind of go off by myself. And that's where I spend my lunch hour. It was all good. Until these two kids, there was three. Right? What is this? Fourth grade? I mean, these guys were bad. Tattoos, beards. <laughs> right? When you're fourth grade, everybody's scared. They look like dirt. They look like dirt. They're scared of these kids. You know, I'm a little skinny kid. And here comes this fifth grader in a beard. He didn't really have a beard, but you know what I mean. These guys are bigger than me. They're scary. And they found me playing by their stuff, by myself. And they're like, what are you doing over here? Hey, it's that new kid. So they kind of teased me and picked on me a little bit. They got bored with that and around. The bell rings, I go in. Next day, I'm playing out there by myself, and they find me again. So they start picking on me, because it's fun. Nobody's around, there's no teachers. Hey, the new skinny kid, let's work them over. So they kind of beat up on me. But just so you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad because we were only this tall. You know what I mean? We're just little kids. But for me, it was terrifying. You get that? So this grew into a pattern of terror every day. I never told my mom. Never told my dad. I don't have brothers or sisters. So I'm quite alone. Because I've been practicing invisibility. So I come out on this playground. And every day when the bell rings for lunch, my stomach just rolls like, uh, I gotta go face Brian and the goons. So I go out and I try to find different spots, but they would find me. Now it became a game to them, and they would find me every single day. I remember this one day, these, the three are walking across the playground, and I hear this whistle, and this tumbleweed rolls across the front of us. <laughs> It's a showdown at the OK Corral, right? 
And I remember, that's a little dramatic, but where was I was only 11 or 12, I don't remember. But I remember, here they come. And I remember thinking, what am I going to do? And I'm looking for tools. Right? I'm like, that's my invisibility. That hasn't worked. And so I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And if you imagine this with me, it's like in the panic as they were coming closer, I was looking at my dashboard of options. You with me? It's like, uh, I can run. Here's the run button. Here's the cry button. Oh, I don't want to do that one. <laughs> um, you understand? I've got all these options. And I'm not good at any of them. I don't know any of them. But there's this one red button right in the middle. So imagine my dashboard. I've never used these buttons before. But there's a big one, and it's red. And I said... I wonder what this does. So these two guys are coming at me. I'm in my, in my corner. And I think, well, let's do this. And I push the red button. Well, about, about 10 minutes later, the teacher catches me by the back of the shirt. He catches me because what the red button was, was rage. I, I didn't know how to use it. I had no idea what happens. Oh, but I found out. When you go completely, insanely angry, you can get all sorts of things done. <laughs> what happens is these guys got right up to me, and I attacked them like a rodent. I did. I was back in this corner. I was like, and I tapped the steps. I'm like grabbing onto them, and they're like peeling me off. Like, holy mackerel, what is this? They peel me off and they hit the ground. Like, come again, come again. They're like, what's going on? Well, the, well, the two dudes just take off running. They're thinking this dude's freaky, and they take off. Well, Brian can't get away because Brian's the leader. I'm like, Brian, you're just you and me. Because I think I'm gonna die. You get that? Like for you know, for me in the corner, it's like. My life is over. You know, even hamsters get mean in the corner, right? So this hamster went radioactive. It went, ah! And I chased this guy across the parking lot. All the kids are playing ball, and they're all like, oh, what's going on? And so they start following along. We get out on the football field. We're crossing. What's happening is I am chasing him. I'm I'm tearing and ripping at him. I'm completely out of control. Don't even remember it. We chase across now. I've got it looks like you know, I don't know what it looks like. It's like, you know, fifty kids running along behind the fight. Right? Because we didn't have that many fights. It's like this kid running white with fear, and behind him is a radioactive hamster. And behind that is like 50 kids running to see what's going to happen. So the, so the teachers are like, oh my gosh, so the teachers take off. So the teachers run across the field, and that's when they catch me. He runs up behind me, the teacher grabs me by the back of the shirt and takes me up. My legs <laughs> Whoa. Be back, back. Takes me back to his office. And expels Brian and me for fighting. Both of us. You're out. Calls my mom, takes me. She comes to me. 
I'm just, I'm just a disaster. I'm like, great. I will never make a friend now. This way, I'm sitting at home thinking, I'm such an idiot. Well, the next day comes. I prayed for the end of the world, but it didn't happen. <laughs> the next day comes, and I gotta go to school. So I go to school, sit in my class, nothing. Go to my next class, nothing. Here comes lunch. So I go out on the playground, and I'm like, great. And I'm like, where are they at? Here comes Brian. And he's probably got 80 goons now, right? I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm standing out there by myself. And this kid runs up to me. Runs up and goes, hey. Hey, Steve. Stevie, right? Yeah. He goes, I saw what you did, Brian. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was? Because, hey, man, you want to come play... Want to play football with us? Like, I do. And so off we ran. And by the way, Brian and I became friends. Yeah. I don't know what happened to his sidekicks, but Brian and I became friends. The whole thing works out. And rage became powerful to me. Ah. This little idea lands in my heart. I have two powerful tools now. Visibility. But, oh man, do not make that little kid angry. Because he got a red button. And I don't know, he's not very big, but you'll know he's been here if he gets lit. So, I became a little rage kid. Don't make him mad. And I used it all the time. Rage became my friend. I watered it and nurtured it. When invisibility and rage were first planted... In my heart, they sprung up like a little tender leaf, like a little grass, just a little teeny thing. And it was really soft, and the wind, it was supple. It didn't, like, affect my life. You know what I mean? When I was in the kitchen with my grandma, this little idea sprouts up, and it's, it doesn't, like, cause me any trouble at all. I don't even notice it's there. Rage pops up in my life, and it's like, it helps me. I water it. And that idea grows stiff and wooden. It begins to occupy space. It begins to mature. And what do seeds do? They bear after their own kind, don't they? And so I began to have these, this development in my life. These, these ideas, visibility, and rage began to grow mature and bear fruit. One of which was me driving along the road. And I roll down the window. Radioactive hamster pops out the window. And tells this person a thing or two. And then tries to hide the fruit. So this went along. Well, the older guy, the, uh, the bigger the mess has happened. You ever notice that? You can get away with a lot when you're little. But the older you get, this stuff becomes more and more costly. You know why that is? Because your power is increasing. And power exaggerates whatever's in your heart. I told you that. Power exaggerates whatever's in your heart. So we're cruising along. 
I'm in my garage one day. I'm working on a motorcycle. I'm trying to start a little motorcycle business, a repair business. And these people would bring me motorcycles and I'd fix them and make a little bit of money on the side. This one guy brings me this monster motorcycle. Overhead cam, four-cylinder, timing chain. Those of you who know what I'm talking about, it was a real disaster. Way over my head. But I take the whole thing apart. I got it all apart in my garage. Pieces everywhere. I'm like 16 years old. I got this bike torn apart and I realized I can't put it together. I don't know how to do it. So I'm using my tools. My rage and invisibility tools. I'm doing things like I remember clearly, and it's, this is a shameful thing to me, but I'll share it because this is how the stuff, the fruit works. I remember the moment I couldn't figure out that motorcycle and I tried to put together the top end of this motorcycle. You see, if you get the chain on the wrong tooth, there's this little chain that runs inside of the engine of the motorcycle, of this type of motorcycle. And when you take it all apart, it comes apart easy. But when you put it together, you've got to have it just right. Even if the chain is one tooth off, when you start the bike, you'll bend all the valves. You'll ruin the bike, right? And I didn't have money to fix it. So I'm stressed. So I'm putting this thing together, and I drop a little link down inside of the engine. So I get up my magnet, and I'm trying it out. Trying it out. Almost get it out, and it falls off and drops. So, and this goes on. This must have been, you know, it seemed like hours. It was probably two minutes, but it seemed like forever. I'm finally getting the thing out. I just about get that link that had fallen down inside. Just about get it out. And it falls off again. And I go ballistic. I look around. I just remember that, that was as big, as big around as this bottle, but about twice as long. Now, a 16-year-old motorcycle mechanic has a screwdriver like that? I have no idea. But I had one. And I grabbed that thing. It was closer to a crowbar than a screwdriver. And I walk over to my bench, my wooden bench, and I just stab it. Ah! <laughs> it was epic. It was like Lord of the Rings. Oh, show up. Ah! No pity. The little wooden bench cracks right in the middle and falls apart. Just like Yeah. Somehow that made me feel better. I still had a screwed up motorcycle. The fruit in my life of rage was growing to the point I had no control over it. It would just like seize me and I would go red or see red and just woo. Well, one day I married this pretty girl back here. Well, Donna and I, we start getting together and we start riding around and I start doing things like screaming out the door. And one time my dog, what, I don't know what he did. I think he, yeah, I have a beautiful dog. I love my dog. This was, and his name was Pokey. He was an Irish setter and a golden retriever mix. It's absolutely beautiful. And he loved you wouldn't know about his story, but he lived a very long and glorious life. But he did something, like peeing in a house or something. And I remember <laughs> grabbing my dog by the neck. And I held it up by the neck and I pushed it against the wall. And I'm talking to my dog like I couldn't even understand it. Never pee in my house again. Some stupid thing. You know, I'm, you know, insanity goes away. 
And I'm yelling at this dog. And Pokey's just hanging there. I love him so much because he's an Irish sinner. They love everybody, right? He's just happy I'm touching it. And I'm holding it, and he's so glad about it. And I'm just like, Dad! And I drop him to the floor, and I feel those two eyes in the back of my head. And I turn and I go, What? She goes, Got a little anger problem, don't you? Yeah. I had to admit it. I couldn't hide the fruit. Now, as Christians, we love to hide our fruit. We love to hide our fruit. We do it all the time. Because it's not cool to do that, man. It's not good when pastors do that. I don't know if I can tell, but I'm good. I was a worship. I was a worship leader in a home group. God is like, Yes, I'm sorry. This is who you're listening to. I'm sorry. This is who I was and am. Not anymore. But this is what happens. I'm in my worship. I'm the worship leader in a home group that has been meeting for like five years. They went out and we met for like ten years or more. We were like total friends. This is like family. You guys have home groups like that? Where you're just so connected to people. You're just like, these are your, your people. And I remember I was in this and I was kind of warming up and I got my guitar and I'm working on I got all my songs out. And I look and it's 7 o'clock. It's time to start. So I jump up and I walk through the house. It's one of those houses you can make a circle around the kitchen. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I walk through the kitchen and I say, hey, come on everybody, let's go start. Let's start at 7. Let's, it's time. Come on. Let's go. You know. Let's put down the cookies and the donuts and the coffee. Let's go. Come on. Let's. So I walk all the way through the house. And I sit down. I straighten out my songs. And I'm getting ready. And I'm warming up. And look, not a soul has moved. They're all like, they're having a great time. They're fellowshipping. They're loving each other. I'm like, oh. Oh, no. That did not just happen. So I get up again. Now, radioactive hamster is trying to be cool. This was last year. No. No. I walk through the house again. And this time I'm like, hey. Eyeball to eyeball. We got to start. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. What are you doing, man? Come on. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Put down. Come on. Let's, let's do this. It's time to start. Worship. Paypal. Come on now. So I go back, I straighten out my paper, okay. I look up. Not a soul has come into the living room. Oh. Hamster, come forth. I stand up in the middle of the living room and I shout to the homeroom. You guys are pissing me off. <laughs> now get in here and worship now. <laughs> yeah. Brain, disengage, because answer is here. I sit there, now everybody's like, did you just say? 
And they're all holding their cough, they're like, they set it all down, they're like, come in. Like, uh, okay. They all sit down, I'm sitting there. I'm watching them sit in their chairs. And then I realize, I'm holding a guitar. I have worship music in front of me. I'm going to try to re lead worship now. I go, I am so sorry. Everybody just laughs. They're like, yeah, you should be. <laughs> yeah, I got fruit hanging over me, baby.
They got to deal with their stuff. You know, my rage, I hated my rage. But I kind of loved the power I got. Remember when I was a little kid and on the playground? Kid comes up and slaps me on the shoulder and made friends for me. Rage made my friends. Do you get that? Rage made me feel powerful. Rage scared off the threats. It's interesting how we can love the plant but hate the fruit. We can pick it and try to hide it so nobody sees our fruit. But you will never outpick the fruit of your tree. Does that make sense? Because God said it's going to produce. You know, an apple tree doesn't sit there. They, they just bear fruit. That's what they do. These lies just bear fruit. And it's like Jesus said. He said, a good tree will not produce bad fruit. Why did he say that? Because if you've got bad fruit hanging in your life, It is the nature of the tree. Even if you love it. See me sitting here hugging my anger tree because it gave me power, made me feel safe. You get that? I loved my tree, but I hated the fruit. Jesus told us that because the point is you can't outpick your fruit. You have to cut the tree off with the roots. And then the fruit just goes away. Just goes away. I have to tell you this story because I think it's so important. Once upon a time, my wife and I had two sons, and the last son, both babies were cesarean, and so they were really difficult births. Donna's bones down in her pelvis area aren't built for bearing babies, so the babies wouldn't come out. So she had to have them cesarean, and it was just brutal on her. And I have always dreamed of having three children. Actually, I take that back. Two children, a boy and a girl. Okay. I always imagined having a little girl. And what happened in this moment? We're in the hospital. Dawn is on the table. She's got herself opened up. Little babies come out. This is little Tim. He pops out. It's a little boy. And I remember thinking, Oh, I mean, my son tennis. I mean, and we're going to die for him, right? Who knows about that with our kids? We, just, we love our children. When I saw that, I thought, oh, I don't have my little girl yet. That day will come. We'll have another baby so I can have my little girl. This, all this calculus is going on this day, just instantly, you know? And Donna, within moments, now she's on the table. You know, she just had a baby. She's just racked, right? She leans over, turns her little head, and she says, she says, sweet, can I have my tubes tied? Can we tie my tubes? So that, so that she can have any more babies. And, you know, I'm just moved with compassion. I'm like, oh, yeah, baby, this is, this is so hard on the body. I mean, it's just, she's not built to have these little babies. So I'm like, absolutely. So I agree with her. See that? 
but a little seed landed. I didn't even know it, but a seed landed in my heart and said, she took away my little girl. Now, you understand, my mentally, I was not processing this. It happened down here. I agreed to this. I said, she asked my permission. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's just take care of this. But something happened in here. You see that? We went on through, you know, years and times grow, go by, and the boys are gone. But I started having the craziest personal problem in my life. See, when I did, sorry for the transparency. Brace yourself. When I was a little boy, I was molested by a certain person. It doesn't matter who. But this person was a family member, so it wasn't somebody you never would see again. I saw him all the time. So my young, young life was very sexually charged. Does that make sense? Little kids, she didn't even think about that stuff. But it was for me. It was just a sexualized childhood. So when I got old enough to realize what was happening, I put an end to all that stuff, and then spent the next probably 10 years just getting my butt kicked with pornography. Okay? And just, just a sexualized life. This is up through high school and into early part of, it wasn't even college because I met Donna uh, right before I went to college. I was probably 18 or 19, I was probably 19 when I met her. She was 18. And I became a Christian right around that time. And I knew this was bad. I hated it, but I knew this was bad. And I took it to the Lord. I was desperate for freedom from it. And I mean, I took it all to my pastors. I, I went to the ministry. I wasn't hiding this. It's like, this is junk. I need it out of my life. I need forgiveness. I need healing. And I got it. So this all happened up until probably we were in our, I was probably in my, Early 20s, I'm, I'm trying to guess. Probably mid, let's say mid-20s, and I get just healed of this stuff, okay? So I go for a long time. And then this event happens. This little thing happens in my heart. And time goes on, and sure enough, I start struggling with that stuff again. Now I'm probably at this point, like 28, 29, 30, probably like 30 years old. And this stuff comes back. Temptations that are just kicking my butt. And I like, I hate it, and I go to the pastor, I talk to my wife, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I haven't dealt with this stuff for years, and now I'm back. And so we wrestle through it, she praises me through it, I repent, work, I just, yeah, I hate it, get cleaned up, get cleaned up. But the thing is not leaving. And I become convinced, by the way, I'm driving toward this point, for the men and women in this room, that wrestle with what's called a besetting sin. A sin that won't let you go. The kind is like a hook in your jaw. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, awesome. Unfortunately, I got a scar right here where that hook was in me. And it led me around. And I hated it. I hated myself for it. It contributed to my identity as worthless. Okay? And I remember one day, I went to a pastor He's a dear, beautiful man, and I, uh, he's in heaven now. He's, he's amazing. A guy named John. And with John, my pastor, and a friend, and myself. And we're doing 
basically a SOZA. This was way back before SOZA was around, but it was a program called Bondage Breakers. Neil Anderson. Anybody heard that? Awesome, huh? So I'm in this Bondage Breakers session. I'm sitting with my, my brother, his name's David, and my pastor, his name's John, and we're going at it. Because I, I tell you what, I got little children. I can't be getting this stuff on them. I live through that stuff. I am ferociously after them. I'm not doing this, right? So we go, and if you know anything about that ministry, I mean, it's, it's full on. All, I mean, just like, ta-da, here's my garden full of lies. And we're scrubbing away and repenting. I'm, I'm repenting for everything I can think of. I'm making stuff up. Because I don't want it to stay. I don't know where this came from. We go for, it must have been an hour and a half. I had I didn't even know there was that much snot in a man's nose. But I, it all came. It was just like, boom. We cried, I cried, we prayed, we repented. We did all the stuff. We got under the blood of Christ. We did everything. Hour and a half. I was exhausted. They were exhausted. We're all done. Pastor John says, Steve, how do you feel? Man, I feel great. Is it, I held nothing back, which was my normal. But this one, I was so desperate. Nothing back. It was awesome. He goes, he goes I, do you think we're done? And I said, yes, I, I think we've done everything. I give you the best things from other people. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm sure my dog did bad things. I even confess for him. All of that. He said, okay, well, let's just, I think we're done too. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything else. And then we'll be done. I said, okay. Holy Spirit, is there anything else I need to? And I explode in tears. And the pastor and Dave are like, oh, gosh. This dude never going to get done. And I mean, it burst out of me. And what it was, was I started to say, I got this idea like, I think I need to forgive my wife. So I said, God, I forgive my wife. And on the word wife, what I was going to say is, for having her to side. I forgive my wife, and I literally blow up all of I just, way more than any other. And I am shocked at myself. Like, what on earth is going on? I bumped the original root. I found the seed. For time, I'll just tell you. I, of course, now you got to understand, this is an important one. You can't make sense of the devil. You understand that I agreed to this whole thing. There, she she didn't withhold anything from me. She asked my permission. But you can't make sense of the devil. And it had grown and twisted into this thing. This anger had grown into a self-destructive pattern that was pulling back into my life. This, this nasty stuff. And I was going after the nasty stuff. I was going after the fruit. But the Holy Spirit let me run and he said, I want you to deal with that. And when I didn't see it coming. I mean, it, it hit me off the left field. I was shocked. 
So I asked God for, you know, I forgave my wife, of course. Um, repented for the anger. Made myself up. I said, I think I'm good. I walked out of that, that room. And my friend Dave says, how do you feel? I said, I feel amazing. I feel different. Something's different. I had chopped the root. All that crazy fruit, that hook, just fell right out. It was empowered by something that I was loving, my anger, even though I hated the fruit. Sound good? You get it? A good tree or a thing that you think is good cannot bear bad fruit. Translation, there's bad fruit in your life. Guaranteed. There's a lie in the movement. I'm telling you, if you're producing bad things in your life, the kind of stuff you don't want anybody to see, the kind of stuff you got to pluck and hide before someone catches you, the kind of stuff that gets you in trouble when you're by yourself, if that stuff's cooking in there, if it's the kind of stuff I cannot get good at, alcohol, eating, gambling, I'm talking about all the real stuff. If that stuff's cooking, guarantee you there's a root. There's a lie to believe. And the way to find it is what we're about to do. We're about to introduce Father God. We're going to listen to Him. We're going to ask a simple question. Papa, what's the lie I believe? We're going to do this. And we're gonna, I'm going to hand out these little yellow stickies. Can somebody help me with this? What I want is for everyone to have maybe three or four of these little yellow stickies. Does that make sense? So what you're going to do is you're going to have three or four of these little guys. And you're gonna, we're going to ask in a minute. We're going to close our eyes and ask the Holy Spirit and Father God to tell us what lies we can believe in. And to help you, I've got an appendix at the back of the manual. And I'm going to show you some real. I've been doing this exercise, exercise, probably years. If you go to the back of your manual, turn page 183. Hold on, I'm sorry. 185. And there's a thing called Curious List of Lives. And what this is, literally years of people writing down their lives on yellow stickies. By the way, I promise not to do this to you guys because I've got my attendees done. <laughs> okay? But we're going to ask the Holy Spirit. You are. Papa, what are the lies that believe me? And I want you to write down what you hear. The lies you hear right on this little page. These little stickies. Because these lies are sticky. Get it? They stick. And if you hear another one, you're going to write it down. If you need more pages, you tell us and we'll bring you more. There's, I have thousands of these papers. These little sticky ones. But I want you to write it down. And as you write it down, I want you to ask God, what's the truth? And the truth, I want you to write it in your manual. Right, I'm just, right, I'm just filling the page. We can have 20 on page, probably. You just write them as big or as small as you want. I'm going to tell you something. 
Where we're headed is a big forsaking and a repentance of this stuff. We're going to break it off. Okay? So, pray with me. Close your eyes. And repeat after me. Papa, what are the lies I've believed that are creating bad fruit in my life? If you're having trouble hearing, that isn't a problem. This is a skill. And we're going to practice our skill more tomorrow. But to help you out, check out the appendix. Look at the back and see what other people have written. See if some of those relate to you. Okay? Write the lie on the yellow, the truth in your manual.
ask God this question, Father, what's the truth? What would you tell me? If you feel like you're worthless, the truth is Christ died for you, didn't you? Write those things down, but you know, biblically accurate. We need some time. How are we doing? One more time. Good. Good. Keep going. the rest of us, close our eyes and just imagine that dashboard the levers and switches you use in your life, the way you navigate problems and boredom anxiety threats opportunities and look around and ask the Holy Spirit which one of these would you want to remove God write those in
This manual is dedicated to you. For those fierce enough not to suffer. We approach this philosophy idea several times in this class, and it never more squarely is faced than in this session. Because we love our stuff, it has helped us. You may hate its fruit, but point out these weeds, point out these trees of lies that have grown big and wooden and stiff, can be really scary. But the prosperous soul manual and this material is dedicated to you who are fierce enough, not yourself enough. Okay? This class is about money. Not because, no, because of money, but because money is power. And power exaggerates whatever's inside of your heart. You guys want to get to the point where you can carry power, money, influence, character, appointments by God. You want to carry liberty? You're going to have to be fierce about yourself. There's a verse in Matthew. It says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. It doesn't mean that we're going to hurt heaven. That's talking about us violently abandoning the structures of lies that are inside us. 
to finally take it by force. We take the truth of the gospel by force. We have to tear through this stuff sometimes. And so this is your dedication for those fierce enough not to sell. Now I've got a really scary prophetic act we're going to do. And I would like to invite you all to do it. What we're going to do is the night is over. But I want you guys to come up one at a time with your list of sticky buys. Your yellow stickies. And I invite you to bring those things up and stick them one at a time right inside this box. This is a box of forgetfulness. And when you put that thing in there, I want you to verbally say, I repent. I repent of this stuff. I abandon this stuff. I forsake this stuff. That's the word that I want to see on your lips. I forsake these lies. And then I want you to put your hand on your heart and prophesy to yourself. I am a prosperous soul. Two things. I forsake these lives. And I am a prosperous soul. Now, Dawn and I, and pastors, Brent, Suzanne, if you want to join us, but we're just going to be up here and we're just going to be praying and blessing you guys. We won't take long, it's going to go fast. You guys are in the moment, just free to go. You've been free to go all night. Does that make sense? Some of us will be a little bit intimidated to walk up. You've got all your lies sitting here, and you're going to stick them right where everybody can see. Well, I'll put a blank one on top if you need it. You've got help. But the truth is, nobody wants, nobody cares about your stuff. You've got our own stuff. We're not looking, we're not like at a flea market. Yeah, I think, ooh, look at that one. Yeah, that's an awesome idea. <laughs> right? So I just assure you, this is safe. It's going to be fine. So why don't we put our stuff aside, take your yellow stickies and stand up. I'm going to have Donna do a prayer right here. Pastor, you guys can come up and just do it. And instead, you would replace it with the mind of Christ. 
that today it will be this easy. That we will begin to think differently. That we will not have to keep taking these thoughts captive because they are already captive. And as we put them on the board today, it will begin a new way for us to walk. And I thank you that there is nothing, Jesus, that you can't take care of today. I don't care how the seven sins have been. We declare the hooks. Awesome. Thank you, God. And Lord, we we look forward to abandoning these lives. Any of me, of many. Imagine this these lives right now in front of you, the garden of your heart, like like a tree. But you are mighty. Christ, and I want you to grab the trunk of that tree. Pull! Pull! In Jesus' name. And it comes out of the ground. You were made for such a time as this. All things are possible in Christ. And you pull that lie out by the roots. I want you to see it come right out. The roots hanging, the dirt falling. I want you to shake it in Jesus' name. Shake it loose of its soil. Shake it loose of your free in Jesus' name. If I want you to throw that right, there's a fire. There's a furnace that the king has lit. And I want you to throw that tree. Oh, those lives, their fruit, even the things, the love that it has given you, safety and security and power, but it's all fraud. It's all faith. It's not authentic, and I want you to throw that on that fire. Now I want you to turn your hand up. Open your hand as they pop up. Plant that truth from your very heart, in my heart, in the garden of my heart. And we cover it over now with that soil, that good soil. We ask God you water it. We ask you to make it grow strong and wooden and stiff. We ask that the truth of the gospel of peace would bear fruit in our lives. We ask God that it would it would show up and people would see that fruit hang. And we would see it and be surprised and be grateful. And we would celebrate. And it would be an honor to you. And we do this in Jesus' name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I see some of you just like patting the ground around this little plant. And it just comes up this little soft green. Tell you that's hope. And I'm telling you, Jesus, God said, Jesus said that a seed will produce after its own time. The principle doesn't change. And it will bear fruit. You don't have to try. It will. Truth planted in your heart will produce good fruit. It will. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we dedicate our night. We bless our night watch. So while we sleep tonight, we would sleep like babies. Deep, restful sleep. We would wake refreshed. And when we come tomorrow... We're going to learn about dream. 
We're going to learn how to turn on our imagination and our hope. Lord, teach us how to learn as foster souls. Dedicate, dedicate this and believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're all excused to go, but I encourage you to do this. We won't go slow. We're just going to bless you guys. Come on up. Put it in here. For save the lives to declare.